York City is known for its hustle and bustle. In fact, it's that frenetic energy that often attracts people to the Big Apple. Just look at how tourists eat up Times Square. But the city that's known for never sleeping does indeed doze a bit. And if you've never witnessed that slumber for yourself, just ask Cameron Goddari the author of Manhattan Before Eight. Manhattan's a city that likes to stay up really late and then sleep in a little bit. So there's like this period from about 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. where the city's really quiet and people are getting those couple hours of sleep that they need. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. On this edition of the show, we're exploring New York City before the sun comes up. Our journey begins in the Bronx's Little Italy. When we visited the neighborhood just before 5 o'clock in the morning, the streets were quiet, but the kitchen at Adeo Bakers was bustling. Third-generation owner Lawrence Adeo took some time out to chat with me about the long-standing family business. My grandparents uh, started the business. They uh, immigrated from a small town outside of Naples called Bruciano. They were not bakers in Italy. Uh, my grandfather came over. Uh, he actually worked on the railroads uh, at first in New York State, and then uh, he started the business uh, because a friend of his, they uh, immigrated into East Harlem, said you should come up to the Bronx. A lot of the towns up in the Bronx, from the, you know our region, from our town, and, and uh, they settled up here. Uh, they got a loan from a, a friend, family friend, and they were able to start their first business, which was actually a small bakery right around the corner from where we are now. They were there for several years. They uh, then opened another bakery right across the street from Mount Carmel Church. And then this property became available. So they were able to uh, bid on it. They were lucky enough to get it. And uh, that's where we've been ever since. Uh, they have the apartment upstairs. That's where my father and his siblings all grew up. Uh, and we've been here ever since. Lawrence, it is dark and early <laughs> here yeah. in the Bronx. The store lights inside not yet on, but the bakers back there, very, very busy. How busy are they? When do they start? Well, our first baker comes in at 6 o'clock at night in the evening. He's our mixer because um, since we all our doughs are straight doughs and there's no uh, things added to it to sort of make it move around, move faster and, and be able to be baked faster, um, it takes hours for our doughs to develop. So he starts the first mixes at 6 o'clock. The next baker that comes in comes in at 8 o'clock at night. Uh, they start working on the first dough, uh, which is a shack dough, which is the long bread, which is a much faster dough. It usually takes about you know, uh, three to four hours of prep time before that dough is ready to go into the ovens. The next dough, which would come in at 11 o'clock, um, is our casa dough, which is the round dough. And that takes anywhere from four, you know, three and a half to four hours for fermentation. And then it gets uh, punched down, goes through a second fermentation uh, before it's scaled, rolled, put into boxes that are from uh, proofing boxes. And uh, it would be about six to seven hours before that bread ever even goes into the oven. We have other bakers that come in, benchmen who work on the bench, rolling the dough, scaling it, and all of that. Um, and we have, you know, a, a system where by two o'clock in the morning, the first baker's ready to go home. The next baker's coming in. He's taking over the mixing responsibilities. And it just continues like that into the morning hours, which are now where we're finishing the last of the breads. They're, they're in the cabinet. It's getting ready to go into the oven or being uh, rolled. And then we move into our biscuit production, which is pretty much the rest of the uh, late, early, early morning and late morning. Sounds like there is most certainly an art to bread making. Well, uh, you know, it's funny. My father always used to say um, that he never thought of it that way. It wasn't, you know, it was, it, it's, it's a very labor-intensive process. And so we always, my father and most of the guys here would think of themselves really as laborers because they're, they're, it's, it's heavy and hard work. Um, but we 
take very uh, great pride in the amount of time and work we put into producing a loaf of bread. We're not producing something that is, uh, you know, that you would get on your uh, on your shelves in, in, in the supermarket. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's. I guess you would say it is a little bit artistic. I mean, the, 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 it just takes um, care, you know, and patience because uh, unlike other baking, bread baking takes time. You can't rush it. If you rush it, you don't get as good a product. Does it take a certain kind of person to be a bread maker? Someone who, you know, has the love to be here in the middle of the night baking bread. Um, yeah, I think it does. I mean, um, you have to remember, though, that um, this this was a good job back in the day. It still is a good job. I mean, uh, you know, uh, it's like the idea that everybody needs bread. Everybody needs bread. And so you, you're always going to have an appointment. It's, as far as what it takes, um, yeah, it takes patience. I mean, that's, that's the key word for me because if you're just trying to, you know, hurry up, finish your job, and get it done, you're never going to get a good product. You really have to know when to wait. Uh, so many things can affect the production of bread, uh, the weather, uh, how hot, how cold, how humid, how dry. Uh, all of those things uh, will affect it. And if you rush it, um, it's, it's not going to produce the same kind of product. And so I guess patience, which uh, a lot of people laugh at me, is, is they see me as not being the most patient person in the world. But when it comes to my baking, um, I don't want to rush it. I want it to be uh, the same product that my grandparents produced like father my uncle produced, I, I, I feel like I have uh, some kind of duty toward that. Lawrence, thanks so much for your time. Oh, thank you so much, George. I appreciate you taking the time to come and see us. That was Lawrence Adeo, third-generation owner of Adeo Bakers in the Bronx's Little Italy. You can check out a video of my interview with Lawrence at cityscapeny.com. From the Bronx, we head to Manhattan, where we continue our look at New York City before the daily grind gets into full swing. I met up with proud morning person Cameron Goddari, the author of Manhattan Before Eight. So New York City is known as the city that never sleeps, but the fact of the matter, the city does slumber a bit, doesn't it? It does. It's funny. Manhattan's a city that likes to stay up really late and then sleep in a little bit. So there's like this period from about 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. where the city's really quiet and people are getting those couple hours of sleep that they need. So what inspired you to explore New York City before 8 a.m.? So New York was actually the second book that I wrote. I started with Seattle Before 8, which is where I grew up. Uh, Before that, the whole series came from conversations with my dad, who's the most tenacious morning person I've ever met. Uh, He'd be up and would have a full pot of coffee in him before I was even up in high school. So we were talking about just being morning people and traveling and not having a lot to be able to do. It was hard to go out and find things that were interesting to do before everything else opened. Um, so the more we talked about it, the more we realized that there were people out there like us that were looking for this. So uh, it turned into a book series. How long ago did you make your way to New York City? So this is going to be my third year in New York. So I came out about uh, three years ago in April um, and have been trying to explore as much of it as I can and feel like I still haven't scratched the surface. So how different was New York for you when you explored it before 8 a.m. compared to after 8 a.m. as a newcomer to this city? Uh, Completely. It's funny, too, because your perspective shifts the longer you're here. 
When I first got here, I couldn't believe how busy it was still before 8 a.m., but when you're here longer, you realize how much more quiet it is. Most cities have this really interesting dichotomy where uh, it's a graveyard before 8 a.m. It's really quiet. You get a really intimate take of the city. As a newcomer here, when you come up before 8 a.m., you can't believe how busy it is. But at the same time, once you're here and you see the day-to-day -day bustle and you see how busy it is during the day, the mornings become really serene by comparison. Even Times Square before 8 a.m. is a relatively quiet place. It's unreal. Uh, you go through the day, especially um, during you know the peak tourist seasons, and it's packed. You can't even get through it. In the morning, there's something really, really cool about Times Square. You still have all the lights. You still have all the, the peripheral activity around it, but you're one of the only people standing there, which makes it a really cool experience. How important is it for you to avoid crowds and how much a part of the before 8 a.m. is that for you? Uh, probably more than I would want to admit. The one thing I really like about being out before 8 is that you get to avoid like the tourist distraction. So when there are things that you really want to see, you're not jostling for room. You're not trying to get pictures behind a hundred other people. Um, there's something really intimate about it just being you in the city. And I think really before 8 is the only time you get to experience that. Speaking of pictures, where do you suggest people go to take photos before 8 a.m.? Uh, in Manhattan, there are so many incredible places just because you get the sunrise coming up over the east and it hits the city and just illuminates it in this incredible way. Um, shooting from the Brooklyn Bridge back towards Manhattan is sensational. Uh, one of my favorite places, though, is the High Line, which is one of the most touristy places in Manhattan. But when you get there early, it's incredible because there's very, very few people there except the joggers. And you just get these views of the city that you don't really get anywhere else. And it's just beautifully serene. Um, and I love shooting there. I mean, it seems like every time I come back, there's something new to shoot. And I think it opens at 7 a.m., right? It does. The, the funny thing about the High Line in particular is if you get there a little bit early, like 6.30, 6.45, the gates are still closed. So you just stand there and wait. And right before 7, you'll start hearing all of these footsteps. And what you realize is that all the runners in the area have timed their routes for when it opens at 7. So right as the gate opened, there are about 15, 20 joggers that just run past you, right up the steps, they don't even miss a beat, and then they're off along the High Line. There is a select group of people out on the streets of New York City before 8 a.m., and runners are definitely one of them. Runners and dog walkers are the two people that I say own the morning. You'll see all breeds of dogs. You'll see dozens of runners no matter where you go. Um, those people and the people that have to be up early working, those are really the ones that I think harness the morning the most. Both of us have coffee in hand this morning. Coffee, very important if you're hitting the city before 8 a.m. Where should people go to get a good cup of coffee in this city before 8? Oh, my gosh. We are, we are so stupidly spoiled in New York. Um, you can't walk a block without having good coffee. Um, we just came from Everyman Espresso, one of my favorite in the city. Has probably the best cortado in the city. Right near Union Square. Right near Union Square. My absolute favorite spot, though, and they have a few locations around the city, is 9th Street Espresso. So they have one in Chelsea Market, they have one on the Upper East Side, they have one down in Alphabet City. What I love about 9th Street is they're one of the most no-frill coffee places. Their menu is extremely limited, but they have this incredible relationship with their roaster, and then that relationship carries all the way back to one farm in Brazil. Um, they have some of the best espresso that I've ever had, and uh, I keep coming back there even with all the other great options in the city. What about breakfast? Because you don't want to go to a fast food chain. No offense to the fast food chain, but there are plenty of other places to eat here in New York City. So where do you go to get a good breakfast? So my favorite breakfast spot is actually right down the street from Union Square. It's this incredible spot called Hugh Kitchen. 
Uh, and they just opened up their second spot on the Upper East Side as well. Uh, Hugh Kitchen is, they don't want to call themselves a paleo restaurant because that's a little uh, limiting of a description for what they do. But it's just incredible, healthy, non-processed food. Um, they make pancakes and uh, French toast without bread, which I still don't understand how they do it, uh, but it's incredible. And they have um, amazing organic coffee, organic tea. I mean, everything they do is organic, free range, and it's delicious. If you want to take in an activity before 8 in New York City, what do you suggest people do if you want to get in the thick of something? So if you really want to get in the thick of something, uh, there are bird watching organizations in Central Park. And that's a place that is just incredible before 8 because it's so quiet. So you get there and you expect it to just be completely silent. What you realize is all the people noise is gone and that gets replaced with the bird noise. And it's one of the noisiest uh, animal places I've ever been. Um, it was so incredible to be out there early with this group of bird watchers. And you can actually sign up for, um, for tours that happen. And uh, it's just a really, really cool experience to be in this little bit of an oasis in the city. Um, it's a great way to spend a couple hours. Your book also touches on bicycle racing in Central Park. I never heard of that. Yeah, so there's actually um, this race organization that puts on races through Central Park um, around uh, around the abs inside of it, uh, which is incredible live. I'd never been to a bike race before. You don't realize how fast these guys are going, and they are, they're just blowing by you, and there's just this incredible sense of speed. Um, it's something that I think there were maybe five spectators when I was there. It's this incredible free entertainment that you don't even know exists. What would you say has surprised you most about Manhattan before 8? What has surprised me most? That's a good question. I think the thing that surprised me most, um, going back to what I said before, what surprised me most was how many people were out. Um, I really expected New York to be more of a ghost town, and you realize just how many people are out and kind of sharing this common bond in a way that other New Yorkers don't ever get to experience. I love to watch people cleaning the streets at that time of morning. You have doormen out with hoses, just hosing things down. It's really just a wonderful wake-up kind of feeling. It really is. Um, I respect the heck out of anybody that's up that early doing their jobs. Um, It's cool. One of the things I love is I I live in Hell's Kitchen, so walking along Restaurant Row and just seeing all the guys that are out unloading trucks and getting those restaurants ready for the tourists that aren't even going to be there for another five, six hours. Um, but, But those guys are out at the crack of dawn getting everything ready. How is your book broken down for people? So I break it down by uh, different activities. So we have one chapter on coffee, one chapter on exercise, one on photography. So what I really try and do is pick one really one of my favorite things for each section. So it's not meant to be a comprehensive guide. It's meant to give people my experience throughout the city with these eight different things. And each chapter, I partner with a local expert. So whether it's the owner of a restaurant or um, the roving runner for the High Line, uh, he runs all over Manhattan for the New York Times. I, I ran through the High Line with him to get his perspective on it. So um, the, the locals always make the best tour guides. So this book really tries to harness that. How different is New York before 8 a.m., or how different is Manhattan before 8 a.m. compared to Seattle before 8 a.m.? I think the biggest difference between Seattle and Manhattan before 8 is the foot traffic. Uh, Seattle is much more of a commuter city, so you really don't get people walking around in the city the same way. You have to drive. You can't bounce from location to location. Whereas Manhattan, you could start on one ave and just walk down, and you're going to still have 10, 15 things to do by the time you reach one end to the other. 
Now, you're focused on Manhattan before 8 here in New York. Do you plan to do Brooklyn before 8, Queens before 8, the Bronx before 8, dare I say it, Staten Island before 8? <laughs> I do, I do. What I've started to do now is, rather than focus on a book, um, moving to a blog. Because I realized it took so much to, to focus and really become an expert. And I wanted to start doing these quick hits. So in addition to finding places in other you know, surrounding boroughs, I really want to start expanding out. Um, I've done a few things in London before 8, for example. But looking over this coming year, Phoenix, um, Nashville, Seattle again, I'm going back there, um, Austin. There's a few that I just want to be able to find one or two little things where each time you go to a city, you know there's at least one thing you're going to be able to do there before 8. So is that blog site up yet, or is that in the works? It is. You just go to before8.com, and you can follow along. So what outside of Manhattan before 8 have you discovered that's pretty neat? In the five boroughs. In the five boroughs. Um, that's a good question. You know, I, I still love um, the coffee shops around Brooklyn. I think they're incredible. Um, they're a little bit more removed from the city. They still feel just a little bit more authentic. Um, I love trying to get over to Brooklyn. It, it's, you know, it's hard because it's always a hike in the morning, right? So you're always, especially if you're trying to make it before 8, there's a little bit of a race against the clock. Um, but if I can get over to Brooklyn and get some good coffee over there, I always try to. I think the one thing I would want non-morning people to know, because anytime you talk about before 8, if they're not a morning person, they look at you like you're a little bit crazy. Um, I think vacations in particular are all about getting out of the norm and getting out of your comfort zone and experiencing something different that you don't experience in your day-to-day -day life. And if you're not a morning person, I really encourage you on vacation, get up early and try it. Uh, I know a lot of people think vacations are just about sleeping in, recovering, and rest, and there's a, there's a lot of positives to that. But at the same time, if you really want to see a city in a way that you don't normally see it in your day-to-day -day life, get up early and get out and explore a little bit more. I think you'll be really pleasantly surprised with what you see. Cameron, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. Cameron Godari is the author of Manhattan Before 8. More info at before8.com. Finally today, early morning in New York City through the lens of photographer Gretchen Robinette. Gretchen has captured the city before dawn in various places. She recently visited our studios to talk about her work. I first was assigned um, to shoot Times Square um, right before dawn um, in August of 2014 for uh, The Gothamist. Um, my editor, Jen Carlson, came up with that idea. So I went out there. It was supposed to be the hour shortly after. Usually bars close around 4 a.m. So after last call and people start heading home and then before sunrise when the workers come out to start their day. Um, so I went out for about an hour during that time in Times Square to photograph what happens during that hour when like who actually would be in Times Square when stores are closed, bars are closed, work places aren't open yet. So that was the original idea was to photograph there. And then I did a few other areas throughout Manhattan and also Williamsburg and Brooklyn. Had you ever been in Times Square at that time of day prior to this uh, assignment? No, I, don't, I can't recall ever being there. I've never really wanted to be there at that time. <laughs> necessarily, but um, I thought it would be interesting because during the day it's usually just you know hustling, bustling, crowded, and bright lights and people everywhere. So I thought the idea would be interesting. Like, who actually would be there? Because, you know, why would you even be there? What reason would be? So So who was there? There was actually surprisingly a few tourists out that um, probably just got off of a plane or something, wanted to hit Times Square in between. I met a girl who was traveling. She came from Brazil, and she had a back, huge backpack on, so she was transferring into another train somewhere, and she just wanted to see Times Square then. A few of the vendors I met that did 
um, caricatures and sold portraits were out there getting ready to start their day, you know, prepping their stands. And the first time I went out, there was a few crowds of drunk people stumbling around screaming and yelling. And in between that, then it turned into some people looking like they're just waking up, carrying their coffee and the little carts, food carts are starting to open up. And So roughly what time is this? 6 a.m.-ish? Um, usually, yeah, depending on the time of the year, usually between 5 and 6. I would usually start an hour before the sun would rise and then right after the sun would start to come up is when I'd kind of end that. Um, then it was interesting, right when the sun fully came up, it was just completely changed and hustling and bustling. And there was a lot of workers out then at that time just cleaning up the messes from the night before. And it was just amazing within that hour, they went went from a mess to suddenly clean and ready to be made into a mess again for the next day. <laughs> Did it give you a new appreciation for Times Square? Yeah, I felt like it was actually more interesting than, than during the day when you can actually see the buildings and this energy was just so strange at the time because um, all, all the lights are on, all the billboards and the signs everywhere. It's just glowing and illuminated like it usually is, but there's the streets are just empty. You can just walk through the streets. There's no cars out. There, I mean, there's definitely a few taxis going around, but then it just starts in that hour. It just starts picking up and picking up to then start the rest of the day where everyone comes back out. What about the light for you as a photographer at that time of day? I liked the light when it was dark because it kind of has this interesting light of um, all the buildings illuminating everything and no light in the sky. Then it transitioned to the light starting to come up. And then when the light first comes up, if the sun's not too bright, it's just kind of this dull, hazy light. So it was kind of, I never really knew what was going to happen depending on the sun and the angle and where it was at. You also documented the financial district before dawn. So how different was it down there before the sun went up and the hustle and bustle of the workday? That, I would say, is probably the strangest place to be because I didn't really feel threatened or unsafe in Times Square or any of the other areas I went to other than for the financial district was just very eerie because there's no reason to really be down there at that hour. There's no bars open or anything going on there. Um, people do start around 6 in the morning coming down, getting ready for work, but you'd think there'd be nobody there, but there are a few random stragglers walking around. And when I went down there, it happened to be during the week of the 9-11 anniversary, so there was police everywhere guarding the area, and they just looked at me like, why are you here? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I'm like, you know, it is very weird to be here. Like, why would you be here? But there was some tourists by the bowl taking photos and it's the city that never sleeps. There's still a few people that are still up, but most of the people were asleep at that time. And let's talk about Chinatown, because you also snapped photographs there before the sun went up. Oh, Chinatown was probably my favorite because it's, you know, it's usually hustling and bustling all the time in the day and everything's just closed and all the doors are down on the shops and there's just a few people sleeping around on the sidewalk. Um, there's a few People walking around, maybe getting ready for the next day. There'd be some worker trucks with people, you know, unloading vegetables and stuff for the day. But most of the time, there's when people saw me with a camera, they would just look at me really oddly. And whatever I was pointing a camera at, they turned to look to see what I was taking a photo of. Um, but pretty much, there wasn't much going on then. <laughs> but the light was really pretty there. The stores, I think, it's, Chinatown was really beautiful at night. Just the area, all the streets, all the alleys, and that was kind of my favorite place to be. So what were you primarily out there looking to capture? Just this idea of how desolate the city that never sleeps actually can be at that time of day? Yeah, basically. I, mean, I had no idea what it would look like, so I just kind of 
went there to see like what is happening here. So I feel like if I were to go to the same location multiple times at that hour, I might get different things because different things can happen at any point. But um, it depends on what street I'd go down. It was just sometimes you see some some person walking by or a couple walking by out of nowhere. And there was a lot of interesting moments to document of that this quiet, peaceful place that feels so different in the daytime or, you know, around 9 or 10 p.m. or midnight. You also mentioned that you documented Williamsburg, Brooklyn before dawn. Yeah, I did Williamsburg. That was probably the most um, simple. It was just kind of the same as you would think. There was still a lot more people. I think there's a lot more younger people live around there. So there were a lot of people walking around and tons of bikes parked everywhere like there usually is. Um, But then around Shortly before sunrise, there's a lot of people coming off the L train, just just coming up and hordes coming up and filling the area because a lot of people might work somewhere else and come over there. And yeah, that seemed kind of predictable when I wasn't, I didn't see anything interesting or different than I would expect down there. But what are among your favorite photographs from this series? Times Square was probably the most interesting when I went there uh, New Year's Eve on 2016 New Year's Eve and 2015 New Year's Eve, instead of going right when the ball drops shortly after that where there's just mess and they're trying to get everybody out out towards the uh, 5 a.m., 4.35 a.m., there's still just tons and tons of confetti everywhere and just stuff all over the place. And there's just tons of workers out there just with big trucks scooping up all this stuff and scooping everything up. And that I felt was the most interesting because you know, it's like all the people that were here are probably home now going to feel really hungover the next day. <laughs> but right now is when all the workers are coming in and they it's just amazing. They went in within an hour or so, which they probably start around three, they get it all cleaned up. And by the time sunrise, there's just a little bit left, but it's amazing the transition. They go from you know, hundreds of thousands of people to none to then starting the near, you know, as a new, a new day. Are you a morning person? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. I tried when I first started, I thought I would try to go to bed early and wake up around that time to head up there. And that was just so hard for me to do that. I ended up, it found it easier to just stay up. And so then I ended up going to bed around 7am. So leaving Times Square at sunrise and I'm on the train falling asleep. So it looked like I'd probably been up all night partying, but I really just came there for that. And then it was just interesting sitting next to people that are wide awake in suits and with their coffee. And I'm like, I can't wait to go to bed. (laughs) Are you native to New York city? Uh, No, I'm from Kentucky originally, but I've lived most of my life in California. So I've been here about six years. So what was the main point of this project? What was the Gothamist hoping to showcase by sending you out at that time? Uh, Mostly just to show what happens during that hour um, when people stop drinking and they're stumbling home. And before the people that start their day come on and turn on the lights in their building just to see what is going on there in the city that never sleeps. And so that was just kind of interesting to see what actually happened. It was just kind of this transition that was an empty hour of this weird energy that went from one to the other, and they kind of overlapped in some ways. What did you learn? What did you take away mostly from this? I found Times Square more interesting and than I'd ever seen it because during the day I find it not as interesting because I guess living here you see it all the time and I just kind of want to get away from the crowds, but it was interesting to see this place that I never go to in a different light, and it was actually kind of beautiful that way and seeing the people working and sweeping and hosing down the sidewalks and just the amount of preparation the city has to do just to make it look normal again to just happen again the next 24 hours. And they do this every day. It's just amazing to see that most people are asleep and nobody has any idea where that stuff goes. They just know the next day by 9 in the morning it's already dirty again. But 
they have to keep continually working to keep this enormous city, you know, maintain the city. It's also somewhat interesting, I think, that you mentioned that there are some tourists who will hit the streets that early in the morning. And they are really getting a sense of this city that a lot of people never see that quiet yeah. part of the city. I would def- definitely recommend it if you could go during that time to Times Square, um, especially if you live here, just to see see it in a different light, for one, and just to see what goes on there. And it it has a weird feeling that energy is. It's very quiet and still, but then there's just random people out. And a lot of people walk up like, hey, what are you doing? And talk to me. And I met some interesting people, and I wouldn't have met them if I wasn't out there then. What's your background in photography? Um, I went to college for photojournalism, and somehow I ended up shooting a lot more of uh, live music and events. I do a lot of different events for The Gothamist and a few other publications. And I kind of like this idea of just doing a a story on a certain hour that wasn't about things going on. It was more about the things that are not going on. And trying to make that interesting when I don't know what's happening and I don't know what I'm going to get instead of just taking a photo of just the view but trying to wait till a person walks in or, you know, knowing which street to go down and see something happening to kind of show that energy was um, what I enjoyed about that. So it was a little different than a lot of the work I normally do. When you wake up that early in the morning, oftentimes you need a good cup of coffee. Oh, yes. Your suggestions for a good cup of coffee in this city? Huh? Any places that you really admire? Um, I like Blue Bottle in Williamsburg, but I mostly just, I don't like to leave my house without coffee, so I make coffee at home in a French press. That's my preferred method, but um, I'll go wherever, wherever there's coffee. Gretchen, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much for having me, George. Gretchen Robinette is a documentary photographer based in Brooklyn. You can check out her early morning photos of New York City at GretchenRobinette.com slash Before Sunrise. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to audio producer Claire Drake and videographer Juliana Bigham. Thanks for listening. It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener-supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here.